Section 46 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 12, Part 1. Ruin of the Austrian cause at Königgratz, Dr. Bresser at the seat of war. I resolve to join him and seek for my husband. Aspect of the railway station and line in a time of defeat. The journey. The regimental surgeon's experiences of the horrors of war. I arrive at the seat of war and meet Dr. Bresser and Frau Simon. Night journey to Horonewas. The horrors I saw there. I sink exhausted under them and am carried back by Dr. Bresser to Vienna. My father takes me home, and there I am joined by my husband, who had been wounded. The Battle of Kunigretz had been fought. Another defeat. And this time, as it seemed, a decisive one. My father communicated the news to us in such a tone as he would have used in announcing the end of the world and no letter, no telegram from Frederick. Was he wounded? Dead? Conrad gave his fiancée news of himself. He was untouched. The lists of the slain had not yet arrived. It was only known that there were forty thousand killed and wounded at Konigratz, and the latest news I had had ran, We are moving today to Konigratz. On the third day still, not a line. I wept and wept for hours. I could weep just because my grief was not quite hopeless. If I had known that all was over, there would have been no tears for my load of woe. My father, too, was deeply depressed, and my brother Otto was mad with thirst for revenge. It was announced that corps of volunteers were to be formed in Vienna. He wanted to join them. It was further announced that Benedek was to be removed from his command, and the victorious Archduke Albert summoned to the north to take his place. And then perhaps there might yet be a rally. The overweening enemy who wanted altogether to annihilate us might be beaten back, as he would be caught on his march to Vienna. Fear, rage, pain filled all minds. All pronounced the name of the Prussians, as if they were all that is detestable. My only thought was Frederick, and no news, none. A few days afterwards arrived a letter from Dr. Bresser. He was busy in the neighborhood of the battlefield in giving what assistance he could. The need, he wrote, was without limit, mocking all power of imagination. He had joined a Saxon physician, Dr. Brower, who had been dispatched by his government to give them information from actual inspection on the state of affairs. In two days, a Saxon lady was to arrive, Frau Simon, a new Miss Nightingale, who, since the outbreak of the war, had been busy in the hospitals of Dresden, and who had offered to undertake the journey to the fields of battle in Bohemia in order to render assistance in the hospitals adjacent. Dr. Brower and Dr. Bresser with him were going on a day named at seven in the evening, to Konigenhof, the nearest station to Konigratz, to which the railway was still open, to await the courageous lady there, 
Bresser begged us to send, if possible, a quantity of bandages and such things to that station, so that he might receive them there himself. I had hardly read this letter before my resolution was taken. I would take the box of bandages myself. In one of those hospitals which Frau Simon was to visit, possibly lay Frederick, I would join her and find the dear sufferer, nurse him, save him. The idea seized me with compelling force, so compelling that I held it to be a magnetic influence from afar, derived from the longing wish with which the dear one was calling for me. Without telling anyone in my family of my purpose, for I should only have encountered resistance on all hands, I embarked on the journey a few hours after the receipt of Brester's letter. I had given out that I wanted to look out the things which the doctor required in Vienna and send them off myself, and so I managed to get away from Grimitz without difficulty. From Vienna I meant to write to my father, I am off to the seat of war. It is true that doubts arose in me, my incapacity and want of experience, my horror of wounds, blood, and death, but I chased these doubts away. What I was doing, I was compelled to do. The gaze of my husband was fixed on me, in prayer and supplication. From his bed of pain he was stretching his arms out after me, and, I am coming, I am coming, was all I was able to think of. I found the city of Vienna in unspeakable excitement and confusion, disturbed faces all around me. My carriage came across a number of carriages full of wounded men. I was always looking to see whether Frederick might be among them. But no. His longing cry, which vibrated in my vitals, rang from far away, from Bohemia. If he had been sent off home, the news would have come to us simultaneously. I drove to an hotel. From thence I went to look after my purchases, sent the letter which I had prepared for Grumitz, got myself equipped in a traveling costume most adapted for rough work, and drove to the northern station. I wanted to take the first train that was starting, so as to reach my destination in good time. I had a single fixed idea under whose domination I carried out all my movements. At the station, all was in a bustle of life, or, should I say, a bustle of death. The halls, the waiting room, the platform, all full of wounded, some of them at their last gasp, and a corresponding crowd of people, sick nurses, soldiers of the sanitary department, sisters of mercy, physicians, men and women of all ranks and occupations, who had come there to see whether the last train had brought one of their relations, or again to distribute presents, wine and cigars among the wounded. The officials and servants, busy everywhere in pushing back the folks who were pushing forward. They wanted to send me off, too. What do you want there? Make way. You are forbidden to give out things to eat and drink. Go to the committee. Your presence will be taken in there. No, no, I said. I want to set off. When does the next train start? It was long before I could get information in reply to this. Most of the departure trains, I found at last, were suspended, in order to keep the line open for the arrival trains which were coming in, one after another, laden with the wounded. For the day there were absolutely no more passenger trains. There was only one with the reserve troops that were being sent forward, and another exclusively reserved for the service of the Patriotic Aid Society, which had to take away a number of physicians and sisters of mercy, 
and a cargo of necessary material to the neighborhood of Konigratz. And could not I go by that train? Impossible. I heard, ever plainer and more beseeching, Frederick's cry for help, and could not get to him. It was enough to drive one to despair. Then I espied at the entrance of the hall Baron S., vice-president of the Patriotic Aid Society, whose acquaintance I had first made in the year of the War of Fifty-Nine. I hastened to him. For God's sake, Baron S., help me. Surely you recognize me? Baroness Tilling, the daughter of General Count Althaus. Of course I have that honor. What can I do to serve you? You are sending off a train to Bohemia. Let me travel by it. My dying husband is pining for me. If you have a heart, and your action surely proves how fair and noble your heart is, do not reject my prayer. There were still all kinds of doubts and difficulties, but in the end my wish was granted. Baron S. called one of the physicians dispatched by the Aid Society and recommended me to his protection as a fellow traveler. There was still an hour before our departure. I wanted to go into the waiting room, but every available space had been turned into an hospital. Wherever you looked, you saw cowering, prostrate, bandaged, pale forms. I could not look at them. The little energy which I possessed I had to save up for my journey and for its object. I could not venture to expend here anything of the stock of strength, of compassion, or of power of assistance which was at my command. All belonged to him, to him who was calling for me. Meantime, there was no corner to be found in which a painful scene could be spared me. I had taken refuge on the platform, and there I was brought face to face with the most grievous of all sights, the arrival of a long train, all whose carriages were full of wounded, and the disembarkation of the latter. The less seriously wounded got out by themselves and managed to get themselves forward, but most had to be supported or even carried altogether. The available stretchers were at once occupied, and the remaining patients had to wait till the bearers returned, lying on the floor. Before my feet, at the spot where I was sitting on a box, they laid a man who made, without cessation, a continuous gurgling sound. I bent down to speak a word of sympathy to him, but I started back in horror and covered my face with both hands. The impression on me had been too fearful. It was no longer a human countenance. The lower jaw shot away, one eye welling out, and added to that a stifling reek of blood and corruption. I should have liked to jump up and run away, but I was deadly sick, and my head fell back against the wall behind me. Oh, what a cowardly, feeble creature I am, I said, reproaching myself. What have I to do in these abodes of misery, where I can do nothing, nothing to help, and am exposed to such disgust? Only the thought of Frederick rallied me again. Yes, for him, even if he were in the condition of the poor wretch at my feet, I could bear anything. I would still embrace and kiss him, and all disgust, all horror would be drowned in that all-conquering feeling, love. Frederick, my Frederick, I am coming. I repeated half aloud this fixed thought of mine, which had seized me at the time I read Bresser's letter, and had never quitted me. A fearful notion passed through my brain. 
What if this man should be Frederick? I collected all my forces and looked at him again. No, it was not he. End of section 46 Recording by Cassiopeia Sparks